in a culture that has strongly voiced its support for the gay and lesbian community, it's become increasingly difficult to hold and represent a biblical perspective. For example, how would you answer questions like, the Bible doesn't really condemn homosexuality, does it? Or, why would God make someone gay if it's a sin? Or, don't you believe that God loves everyone regardless of their sexual orientation? Or, do you think it's really fair to say that straight people can get married but gay people can't? Or, why do you care about homosexuality when it doesn't really affect you? Maybe you've heard some of these questions yourself. And do we as Christians have coherent answers for these questions and others like them? When someone in your life is gay, what does it mean to love them? What does it mean to support them? And how does Christ expect you to minister to them? of Breadcrumbs, our youth ministry podcast at Bread of Life Church. I'm Jason Lowe, the youth minister at Bread of Life. This episode concludes a three-part series on the topic of sexuality. We began the series by looking at God's design for human sexuality, and then we reflected on the reality of gender, male and female, and how we can care for those who struggle with gender identity. And then we'll conclude this month on the topic of homosexuality. And for our podcast this month, we'll begin our conversation by digging into the biblical witness on homosexuality. Well, what does the Bible have to say? Then we'll try and demonstrate why shifting our perspective or reframing the issue is so important for our own understanding and for engaging those around us. And then finally, we'll try and leave you with a few practical suggestions that you can take with you. Let's dig in and take a look at what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. When we look at what the Bible says about homosexuality, the first point it's really crucial for us not to miss is that God's design for our sexuality, our gender, and marriage, all of these things are rooted in creation. We take a look at uh, Matthew chapter 19. There's a, a situation where the Pharisees have come to Jesus And they ask him a question about divorce. And in his response, Jesus decides that he's going to go all the way back to creation. And so in in verses 4 through 6 of Matthew 19, Jesus says, this is to the Pharisees, he says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, I understand that when Jesus is giving this response, he's responding to a question about divorce. But what he's revealing here is where he gets his idea of what marriage is about. And when he talks about marriage here, he goes all the way back to the beginning. And when he talks about marriage, he has to talk also about gender and about male and female coming together. When we as Christians are thinking about what it means to have romance and take that romance all the way to the point of marriage, uh, to love one another in, uh, in sexual intimacy... 
<clears throat> we have to, like Jesus, go all the way back to uh, the beginning of creation uh, when, when God established marriage uh, to be between a man and a woman. And so I think Jesus' answer here to this question about divorce helps us to understand that marriage at the beginning uh, wasn't just kind of a, an arbitrary choice, but it was supposed to be a part of a design that really informs and guides our understanding of what marriage is all about, what it really means to express our sexuality as, as, as male and female. And the second passage I want to point us to that, that also helps us to understand that God's design for our, our sexuality and, and, and God's design for marriage and for sex is rooted in creation uh, comes out of Romans chapter 1. Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks about uh, this violation that humanity committed against his creator. And so in this explanation that Paul gives, he he talks about a series of exchanges. These exchanges move in a progression, and it starts with uh, not acknowledging God, uh, and, it, and it goes to worshiping humanity instead of, instead of God. And eventually, in his explanation, in his argument, Paul gets to the point where he talks about uh, the exchange of, un, of natural sexual relations with unnatural ones. In verse 21 of chapter, Romans chapter 1, he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in sinful desires, the sinful de desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. In verse 26 because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. And so when we <clears throat> read this explanation from Paul, I, I think what he's really doing here is He's, he's using a lot of this language from Genesis chapter 1, creation language, uh, talking about, you know, God as the creator and ignoring the creator and instead worshiping created things like animals and uh, maybe like the sun or the moon uh, and, and even the human body. And so we, we get this idea that a big part of the human sin and human rebellion against God has to do with our uh, ignoring and exchanging um, what God has designed for for things that that we decide are are better and uh, taking God's design and ignoring it. That all of that in in his argument, all of that culminates in in this idea that men and women are exchanging um, sexual relationships, natural sexual relationships um, with someone of the opposite gender for sexual relationships with someone of the same gender. 
I don't think that what he's saying is that homosexuality is the worst sin, but I think what he's saying is that homosexuality is representative of of this exchange that's happened where uh, humanity has has exchanged worship of God for worship of so many other things, uh, all these created things. Part of what God has designed for uh, us as human beings is for us to have sexual intimacy with with someone of the opposite gender. And, you know, as we already said, that goes back to the idea of husband and wife being this complementary pair to come together in marriage, uh, which includes this idea of sexual intimacy. And Paul is saying here that what's happened is we've we've decided to exchange that uh, in in our thinking and uh, decided that God's design for our sexuality husband and wife in marriage is uh, is not necessary that we can decide that that we can express our sexuality in a lot of other different ways and so I, I think it's really important for us to see that that the biblical witness that stands against homosexuality and the passages that talk about what it means to be male and female and to to have sex, that those passages point us back to this idea of creation and God designing men and women to come together in marriage and in that marriage relationship to have sexual intimacy. That any other uh, pattern is a violation of um, his design and his purpose in creation. There's a second aspect to the biblical witness that I want to highlight for us. And it's that there's a larger meaning and purpose of marriage and sexuality that are meant to point us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, this idea of a wedding ceremony that is about uniting Christ and his church. Christ as the groom and the church as the bride. The idea of man and woman coming together in marriage, it's not just an arbitrary design and purpose, but God was setting things up so that marriage and and sex would help us to understand and appreciate the spiritual union between Jesus and his bride, the church or Christians. The Apostle Paul makes this clear to us in his letter to the Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 In verse 31 to 33, he writes this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. What Paul is saying is that the idea of marriage was always meant to be this mysterious relationship uh, that we eventually would realize was supposed to tell us and help us to understand and reveal the mystery about Christ and the church. The idea of, of marriage between Christ and the church is tied up in the marriage that God designed between husband and wife uh, all the way back in Genesis. And so when we think about uh, the complementarity of just the creation account, it really fits with the idea of male and female marriage and the marriage of Christ in the church. And so if you think about the creation account, take, for example, 
Uh, you have the sun and the moon as a complementary pair. You have morning and evening. You have day and you have night. You have sea and you have dry land. You have plants and animals. And you have male and female. These two come together as a complementary set in marriage, uh, male and female. And it fits this pattern that God is weaving throughout the the creation of the world. Paul is 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 telling us this this complementarity that exists between male and female the way that even the the anatomy of male and female are uniquely designed to come and fit together this this was part of God's design and his purpose for us to understand the deeper mystery of Christ being united with the church and so this unique fitting together of male and female is something that just doesn't doesn't work if you're talking about two people of the same gender and the kind of covenant relationship that Christ has with the church and and the sort of faithfulness and commitment that he has to the church and that the church is called to have to him that only exists in in a monogamous marriage relationship that kind of an idea and so the idea of marriage and even sexual intimacy being man, woman, together as husband and wife, just one partner is is helping us to understand Christ in the church. And so that's why the idea that, you know, we can kind of play fast and loose with our idea of sexuality and marriage just doesn't fit with the biblical account. And so when we look at the Bible, we just we can't in good conscience conclude anything else except that God's design and his purpose in creation was for marriage and sex within marriage to be expressed in the complementarity that exists only between a man and a woman. But the issue of homosexuality and what we think about it, what we do with it, isn't as simple as acknowledging and agreeing that it's a sin and that it's a violation of God's design and his purpose. I think it's really important for us to reframe the way that we think about this issue. And so I want to suggest two ways that that we need to do that. First is I think that it's really important for us to reframe our thoughts about and our our approach toward those who have same-sex attractions. And the first way I think we need to do that is we need to reframe our thoughts about and our approach toward those who have same-sex attractions. Because when we are thinking about or interacting someone who has with someone who has same-sex attractions, the primary problem that this person has is the same problem that all people have, which is the problem of unbelief. It's the problem of unbelief. So when I see someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, whether that person is homosexual or heterosexual or even bisexual, their problem is the same. It's a problem of belief. They don't see or acknowledge their need for Jesus in their life. And they're outside of God's family and still headed toward hell, a life of eternal suffering apart from God. The orientation issue that they have, and the pro- orientation problem they have, is not sexual but it's spiritual. Our sexuality, it's not the core of our identity. Our gender and our sexuality, they're definitely important. And we, as we discussed in the previous podcast, 
They're part of the way humanity bears the image of God and fulfills our mandate in ruling over creation. But I or anyone else is not essentially male or female or heterosexual or homosexual. I'm someone made in the image of God. And my biggest problem is that I don't acknowledge God, that I don't acknowledge his son, Jesus Christ. And so when when we're thinking about our friends or our family uh, classmates who have same-sex attraction, my my thoughts about them and my approach toward them need to be as towards someone who, who really just needs to know Jesus. And so that leads to a second way that I think we really need to reframe our our approach and our thoughts about the issue of homosexuality. And that's that we need to reframe our thoughts and our approach toward intimacy and relationships and community. Our culture has this idea that the deepest kind of intimacy that you can have with someone is sexual intimacy. Uh, but I think that's that's a fallacy. It's a lie. The heart of intimacy is not sex or sexual intimacy. We can, and I, I think we should, have intimate relationships with others of the same gender. And I don't think that means that the conversation about the relationship has to move toward sexual intimacy. So someone who's single, by their own choosing or not, uh, they should be able to find meaningful and intimate relationships within a community of faith. And I think that if they are able to do that, they're able to be in, in a community of faith and find strong and deep intimate relationships with with people in the community. It's a really powerful witness. And it's actually, I think, a necessary reality if we're going to love and welcome same-sex attracted brothers and sisters of, in Christ into our church. I think sometimes we're confronted with this idea that condemnation of homosexuality or saying that homosexuality is wrong. Uh, when we say that, sometimes we get this idea that we are forcing Christians who have same-sex attraction into a life of loneliness and isolation, that it's not fair for them, that it's not fair that in the church, you can be Christian, and uh, if you're heterosexual, you can have a spouse and children and family, but if you're if you're homosexual, that you're basically relegated to a life of aloneness. That shouldn't be the case. And I think it wouldn't be the case if the family of God really lived out their identity, if we as the family of God lived out our identity as the family of God. And I think if we're able to do that, it can really speak powerfully against the lie that life without romance and sex is a life left wanting and a life that's incomplete. To finish up this this idea, Jesus, Paul, both of these men were men who who lived full lives. I mean, you take Jesus and, and no one would ever say Jesus had an incomplete life or that he lacked friendship or intimacy with uh, with people in his life. But he he was never married. He never had romance in his life. And uh, he lived a full, full human life. It's important for us to, to think about intimacy and relationships and not narrow our focus just to dating and marriage and sex and, you know, having, having children and, and, and that, that kind of an image. As we finish up our podcast for the month, 
uh, I want to just leave you with three practical steps or takeaways that I hope help you in how you approach this issue of homosexuality. And the first takeaway is this. When, when we think about homosexuality, remember that describing it as a violation or a rebellion against God's design and purpose for our sexuality, you know, that, that homosexuality is sinful, is not an arbitrary position. God didn't just decide this on a whim. And that from the beginning, God designed male and female to be a complementary pair in marriage that ultimately points us to Jesus and his church. And so the biblical condemnations of homosexuality remind us that it's a sinful exchange of what God designed for what humanity on its own decided was good. The second is that if you have a gay or lesbian friend who isn't Christian, focus your spiritual conversations on the person of Jesus. Remember that their problem is not homosexuality, it's unbelief. They don't know Jesus and they don't trust in him. And, you know, if, you know, the grace of God, they, they, they decide they want to follow Christ and, and place their trust in him, then becomes time to talk about what does it really mean to follow him? And that ranges from how they spend their time reading the Bible and, and praying, being in fellowship with other believers, to, you know, their thoughts about sexuality and their understanding of what God's design is. But that's after they decide they want to follow Jesus. And then third, uh, think of church as your primary family. I, I know that most of us listening probably have, you know, parents or siblings. Maybe we even have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Uh, it's possible we have a spouse and children. These people are, are some of the closest relationships that we have in our life. But I think it's important for us to think of church and our local church community as our primary family. Uh, it's an idea that's very powerfully communicated in the Bible. We need to find ways to build relationships with people who are both like you and unlike you. Uh, people who are similarly single or married uh, and people who are dissimilarly single or married. We we shouldn't allow life stage, only hang out with high school students or only hang out with uh, other people who are also married. We can't allow life stage to determine our close relationships within the church community. And so I want to encourage encourage you to find ways to make Bread of Life a community that would make same, a same-sex attracted brother or sister in Christ feel that their relational needs are more than met. Well, thank you for joining us on this fifth episode of Breadcrumbs and uh, for tracking with us through our three-part series on sexuality. Uh, I encourage you to check out our resource page on the Bread of Life Youth website, and uh, we'll have some uh, additional uh, resources that you can look into uh, to explore this topic of homosexuality.